Welcome to Always Listening. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. And I am the night monkey, Jay. <laughs> the night monkey? Yeah, have you not seen Spider-Man? Okay. Uh the homecoming no, no i still haven't seen no oh. i haven't seen far from home yet i literally so that was going to be if i was the guy that said these things my thing was going to be and i'm the one guy who still hasn't seen far from home yet no so no spoilers sir that's not a spoiler uh, i am not i'm just saying i'm all okay, in good. on night monkey <laughs> good all right uh no no spoilers here i am uh i am behind unfortunately on the uh marvel cinematic universe uh but i'm all caught up on my podcast jay <laughs> Let's talk about some podcast industry stuff today. Uh, this is Always Listening, alwayslisteningpod.com. Uh, you can find us, uh, and we try to bring you a news and commentary on the news of the industry every week, uh, podcasting being the industry that we're talking about. Uh, Jay Soderberg is my co-host, uh, Pod Vader, you might know him as. Uh, Pod, we got a lot of stuff to talk to you today, or talk about today, I should say. Um, why don't we get started with a um, an article from Medium and I'm going to remind everyone here that I hate Medium, and you should write on your own website instead of someone else's. See, like this, pardon the interruption. Before I even click the link, they're like, oh, sign into Medium. I don't want to sign into Medium. Uh, podcasts are getting shorter. That's the name of the article. This comes from Megaphone Pods. Uh, we drill down on the length of podcasts that make the top 200 Apple podcast lists. Jay, there's something right there in the beginning of this that already shows us they've screwed this up. What is it? Well, I mean, first of all, Megaphone should know better. Andy Bowers is the lead over there. I mean, all of this stuff, even in this article, like, I can't believe this didn't pass Andy Bowers' desk. He's quoted in the article. So how he let some of this stuff get by, I won't know. But the first thing is, we drill, we drill down on the length of podcasts that make the top 200 Apple podcast list. Well, just so you know, the top 200 of Apple podcast list doesn't actually mean the top 200 podcasts in the industry it it's it's a nice snapshot but it's not it does not equal all right this is the number one podcast this is the number 10 podcast this is the number 200 podcast it is simply a measure of the amount of new subscribers on the apple platform that's why you will oftentimes see a show will debut high on the apple list uh when it first launches and then it starts falling slowly, 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 and will eventually no longer be featured in the top 200. And that podcaster will freak out. They'll be like, oh, what happened? We were doing so great. And you're still doing great. You just, you have less new subscribers now than you did when you first started because you first started. Anyway, uh, that's yeah, well, the podcasting is a it's it's a growing medium, right? Like it, it happens over time. It's it's slow growth more than anything else, I think. And and I, I don't think these big companies acknowledge that at all. It's always been that way. But yeah, just the sample size here is just too small, Jay. Five hundred and forty nine total podcasts is what they looked at for a total of fifty five thousand five hundred and sixty episodes. Now that seems like a lot, but again, when you think about the fact that there's seven hundred and fifty thousand podcasts in the Apple Podcast directory, you can see that this is an incredibly small sample size. And as you said, the top 200 in Apple doesn't mean the top 200 podcasts, period. Um, Joe Rogan is a good example, right? Joe Rogan's show in particular gets a tremendous amount. Now, he also charts very highly in the Apple podcast chart normally, 
But a tremendous amount of his audience, I think even a majority of it, comes elsewhere through his own app, on YouTube, on his website directly, et cetera, on all of the other podcast apps that people use. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of stuff out there. Anyway, I, I don't, uh, yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good start. But then also, anytime that your whole focus is about what the length should be or what it is or what good podcasts are, et cetera, et cetera, I'm, like I start with a big old skeptical look on my face. You know what I mean? <laughs> the other thing, if you did want an accurate look at what the top downloaded podcasts are, look at the episode list, because that is literally listens by episode. The top episodes, as they are charted on Apple, is relevant to who is getting the most listened to podcasts. And I wonder who that is right now. You know, it's funny. Here I am talking about it. You'd think I might have that ready to go. But as I'm loading that up, I just wanted to point out that understand your sample size. That's the first part. So when you understand the sample size and now you're you're looking at the average length of the podcasts uh, in that top 200. And when you look at the number, you see that there's a giant spike in the two to five minute lengths. Well, if you've just started Joel, what have we as an industry been pounding for years? What's the what's the first episode you should release? A teaser episode. Right. A trailer episode. Right. And how long Something is just that? Just a minute or two. A minute yeah. or two long. I, I tell my clients no longer than three. If you're going to make something longer than three minutes, that's not a teaser episode. That's your first episode. Right. So you're of course you're going to see a giant spike there because the top 200 is representative of the shows that have most recently launched because they have the most new subscribers to their particular podcasts. And thus they're going to have shorter episodes. It's, it's amazing how that works. By the way, the top episode yeah. on Apple is the daily waiting for the immigration raids followed by a crime junkie missing Brandy hall, uh, which is a show I've never heard of before. Uh, then pardon my take with Ice Cube and Jaguars head coach. This American Life is at number four. My Favorite Murder, Minisode 131, is number five. The Ben Shapiro Show is at number six. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and that friend in this episode is Kamel Nunjani, uh, who stars in an utterly stupid movie that I will not go see, Stuber. Uh, next is Armchair Expert, with Dax Shepard featuring Fred Savage, everyone's favorite uh, Wonder Years kid and Princess Bride brat in the bed, uh, getting a nice story told to him by his grandpa, who was, uh, you know, a detective. Excuse my mind. Every 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 time I get up <laughs> to leave a room, I always pat all of my pockets and go, "Okay, okay, <laughs> okay." <laughs> okay, just like Kojak, not Kojak. Uh, just like, uh, just like he does at the end of the thing. What? What? what, what why what are we blanking? Why are we blanking on his name? <laughs> this is gonna drive me crazy now. With the mustache, he goes. Just one more thing. That's what he would always right. say, right? He'd turn. He's he'd got go, the lazy oh, okay. eye, and he'd yeah. walk off, and he'd turn around. Just one more thing. And that one Where more thing was always was right. <laughs> That one yeah. more thing yeah. was yeah. always like the clincher. It was like, dang, you just got nabbed. <laughs> <laughs> weren't you alone with her when she died <laughs> you know 
<laughs> Whatever. Uh, anyway, somebody Joe read Rogan. Columbo. Columbo. It was Columbo. Thank goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we was, that was a long way. We're a long way afield. Well, first of all, it's a <laughs> it's a dated reference, and second of all, it's a dated reference even for us. So that tells you it is. <laughs> We only saw Columbo in reruns. And it, the, look, the point is this, though. The the length of your podcast is what your audience is going to dictate. They even say that at the end of this article. They say, you know, there's no greater compliment. Your your audience will tell you once you get up. They're more likely to try you if you're short, which is true, I suppose, in general. And don't you tell your clients that, Jay? I tell my clients that. Look, if you can say the thing in 15 minutes, say it in 15 minutes. If you need 30 minutes, say it in 30 minutes. If you need 45 minutes, say it in 45 my my thing is whatever rhythm you find try to stick with it try to be consistent like we've we sh we're shooting for 30 minutes we've ended up being closer to an hour but we try very hard not to go over an hour we want to be the same amount of time for our audience on a regular basis and i think that is the key more than anything else uh in my opinion jay and just a heads and up this episode's going to go long cuz it's been 2 weeks <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true, too. But I mean, like, that's all you need to know about show length, I think, is like, you know, make it long enough to cover the subject and then try to not make it longer than that. <laughs> number nine in Apple is the Joe Rogan experience with Ian Edwards. And number 10 is Pod Save America Racist Hall of Fame. That is an actual look at what the top downloaded podcasts are. So if you always want to look at the episodes chart, you don't want to look at the actual Apple chart whatever ranking chart or whatever it is. Uh, and you can see the episodes in each category too. So you can break that down by category. And I will get to that when I talk about what I'm listening to this week. Back to this article, they made the assumption that the top 200 chart is the most popular. So people are listening to those particular episodes, thus they're listening to all of them, right? We have the research that says people that listen to podcasts on a regular basis are listening to 85% or all of the podcast. The This particular article, and I'm going to quote it, this is the sort of stuff that drives me crazy. Because we are looking at data from the podcast RSS feeds and not from our own megaphone platform, like in our previous posts, we do not have the download numbers for these podcasts. But we can use the number of Apple podcast ratings, ratings in the iPhone podcast app and from iTunes as a proxy for download numbers to show which podcasts are more successful than others. The idea is that the more times a particular podcast receives a rating, the more listeners have downloaded that podcast. No, the rating means baloney. There's a whole thing going on right now that James Cridlin at Pod News has been all over where there's a true crime podcaster that's buying bots to put fake one-star ratings on some of his competition. It's the rating does not at all tell you how popular your show is all the and you can game that. And again, I'll talk about that in in the what I'm listening to section of this particular podcast. But the rating is is literally there. It was when it was first invented. The intention behind it was specifically to help podcasters. Uh, or help new listeners find podcasts that people actually liked. So if you went in there and you rated it five stars, hey, the most five-star, you know, I've got more five-star ratings than I have one-star ratings. Hey, that's fantastic. People look at that and they go, oh, well, this must be a good podcast because it's got nothing but five-star ratings and vice versa, obviously. And that's why this one dude is buying bots to put one-star ratings on all of his competition because he doesn't want people listening to the competition. What drives me crazy more about this is when I hear people, you know, 
respected people in the podcast industry going, the rating doesn't matter. Well, it they need to qualify that statement. No, it doesn't matter in regards to your placement on the iTunes charts. It does matter in perception to a brand new listener who will look at the ratings. I am one that does, in fact, look at the ratings and not to see, you know, does it have a hundred, a million five-star ratings? For me, I like to look at the comments that people are placing and then put those into perspective. So if a guy gets a one-star rating and it says, uh, this guy's just got a million uh, Instagram followers and he's giving away free stuff uh, if people give a five-star rating, I know that that's a bogus comment. But if I see another one that says, that's got a one-star rating and it says these two jamokes have no clue at all what they're talking about. They're poorly researched and they're just reading scripts off of other people's websites. Then I know that's not a podcast that's worth my time. And so well. un understand, understand that the ratings, oh, I, I, I see where you're going there. Uh, understanding what the ratings actually do it does matter, but you, you can't just say blanketly, it doesn't matter. Put that into the right context. It doesn't matter in regards to your position on the Apple charts. Yes, you're, you're right there. It doesn't matter in regards to your position on the Apple charts. And it doesn't matter in regards to, you know, one of the things I've even got clients that say it. I've got a client I edited a show yesterday for, and, and he made the statement, please rate and review. It really helps people, new people find the show. And I was like, I've really got to email him again and ask him to change that verbiage because it doesn't, it does. There's no way in which rating and reviewing helps new listeners find you. It doesn't make you more popular or, or easier to find on any part of Apple's, uh, service podcasting service at all. It just doesn't. Uh, however, to your point specifically that, if I see a rating and I read through it and it's, you know, oh, these two jamokes don't have anything to say, they're not well-researched, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we've got a lot of those reviews on this very show, sir. Uh, most of them oh, come from a time before we do, before you were on it, uh, oh. when, when it was just Josh and I. In particular, uh, we got we got bombarded not by bots like the, the current issue that you're talking oh, about, yeah, James yeah, yeah. Cridlin's reporting on. Uh, we got bombarded once when we were uh, we reviewed we used to review podcasts. I don't know if you if you guys listened to the show then, but we did. That's what we did. Uh, pod on pod was what we were called at the time. And we reviewed a show called Rob has a podcast and I hated it. It was a reality TV show and I let him have it. I was like, oh, this thing and the other thing and the other thing and the and this thing. And what about that? And uh, his audience which was very sizable, <laughs> all showed up and let us know about it. And most of them had never even listened to the podcast. They had heard his discussion, a few pieces of us discussing them, you know, and came and responded to what they said about us. And some of that you could see in the comments, but if you don't know the show, you don't know that. All you know is here's a bunch of negativity about this show, you know? So I will say, I, me personally, since then, I've never read a comment for a podcast because I know that those comments, the vast majority of them, hundreds, like, like 150 new, new reviews in a few days for us, all but one or two of them had effectively zero value. There were a handful of people that actually were like, what are these schmucks talking about? And came and listened to our show. And they were like, oh, 
well, I mean, they don't like my show, but hey, I actually like this podcast and I like three or four episodes that they're doing and blah, 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 you know? So like, I, I don't know. I devalue, com I devalue, I devalue comments. I devalue reviews, anything that is user submitted, because I know it can be gamed both by humans and by bots in ways that we just can't do anything about and you can't control. I, I'm going to name the name, by the way. James Cridland didn't name the name in his site, and I'm sure he's doing so because he's a very cautious fellow. He but did this name it. a jerk. He did, oh, he name, did him. name it on his site? He did. Well, I saw he named it on Facebook in a comment thread. It's Mike Bedette is who's doing it, the creator and host of the Sword and Scale podcast. He is a world-class jerk. Uh, he's a misogynist and a sexist. Uh, he uses his female audience and listeners as often as he can. Uh, I've seen that personally on Twitter, but also, um, yeah, he's just, he's just a jerk. He's a real jerk of a host. And there are some of those in the podcast world. Most of us, uh, I think are a great community. We get along. We have a lot of fun together. That dude is not cool. <laughs> he is not invited to the barbecue, Jay. Uh, and, and I am, when I heard that he was behind this or, or people believe he's behind this, I was like, yeah, makes total sense. Believe it. Absolutely. Had no trouble imagining that to be his, uh, you know, current MO. Um, I think it's deplorable, and I hope that, honestly, here's what I hope, Jay. I hope Apple gets rid of reviews. Yeah. That's me standing out on a limb. I hope they get rid of them. Ratings are fine. The five-star ratings, the one-star ratings, et cetera, et cetera, because, again, those are even easier to dump if you get 100 one-star ratings suddenly like that. All You're like, no, those are bots, or if they're all coming from one generic location or, or you know, you could track the traffic, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, I say you just drop them. Just get rid of it all together and solve this problem. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, on this megaphone thing, it shows the average length of podcast by release year from 2014 to 2019. And what's interesting is they had to go all the way back to 2014 to show any sizable difference in the percentages of the length of podcasts. Because in 2015, we start to see the zero to 15 minute uh, length of podcast show up as, as 3% of the overall uh, length of podcasts, the, the, the total universe that they measured. And it's up to 16% in 2019. And they say that they, they feel like, well, you know, this, this could be because, you know, there are more of these sort of introductory uh, episodes. Um, but that's also true. We have a larger pool of podcasts in 2019 than we do in 2014. And by the way, we also know that Anchor is, all right, I'll just say it for lack of a better word, polluting the uh, the universe with their test podcasts and all those. And those can't be much longer than a minute or two. So that's obviously increasing the zero to 15 minute uh, area. But if you look at this 15 to 30 minutes compared to just last year, uh, 12% to 18%. Okay. That's a little bit of a jump 30 to 45 minutes, 41% to 39%. Uh, okay. A, a slight disc decrease, but not enough to, in not enough to feed the 15 to 30 minutes, uh, 45 to 60 minutes, 15% to 13% a year over year. Again, not a sizable decrease. Here's where the biggest decrease is one to one and a half hours, 20%, one to one and a half hours in 2019 is 10%. So, but again, 
if you're doing it on a percentage basis, there's a larger pool that you're pulling from. And it doesn't necessarily mean that what you've measured, your sample that you're measuring is reflective of the most listened to podcasts. So again, you just, you can't sort of put this in percentages and, and make these sort of sweeping statements about the state of podcast lengths in podcasts. And it really does go back to what Dave Jackson has always said, talk for as long as you're not boring. Your content should only be as long as it's not boring. And if it happens to be an hour and a half, if it takes you an hour and a half to get to that particular point, then so be it. As long as you're not being boring and you're continuing the flow of your content. Yeah, I'm with you, Jay. I'm absolutely with you. Let's go ahead and give them some flip side of this. Uh, Voxnest came out with their study, uh, Not All Listeners Are the Same, a data report, um, talking about how long listeners are listening, among other things. Uh, now, Jay, like with the previous article from uh, Medium and Megaphone, we've got a few issues or caveats, I should say, with the data uh, behind this uh, service. Um, the, the thing up top, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, anytime you get a data report from a media host, you have to know that they are particularly for listening data, for actual like use data, not downloads, but the actual like interaction with the file. They are getting that data from their own apps or platforms. So in Spreaker's case, for instance, they have an app that is actually quite popular for uh, some people to use to download and listen to podcasts in. And also, of course, they have the Spreaker website, which again is a nice big platform or directory for not only the shows that they host, but you mentioned there are a lot of Libsyn shows that are also in the Spreaker app or on Spreaker's uh, website. There's a lot of podcasts from everywhere on the Spreaker listening. Yeah, app. from all over. I, I use right. Libsyn as that example, but right. Um, so, but with that caveat, so they're only getting this data from people who use their platforms. And of course, that's not only a small subset of the total uh, listeners to podcasts, but I think it's it should be pointed out, Jay, that it's also a different kind of listener than your quote unquote normal podcast listener. When we think about the average podcast listener today, they're still listening to Apple Podcasts, the Apple Podcast app on their phone. That is the average podcast listener. Now, in a year or two, it might turn out to be that it's like a Spotify user. You know, right, right now, the average podcast listeners, uh, I think, like late 30s, uh, upper middle class, highly educated, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of other things we know about that average podcast listener. But this person, the data that we're getting it's not really that, right? No. Um, you and I were talking, it's closer, the person who listens to Spreaker is closer to talking about like uh, a Reddit user right. than like, I'm not I'm not in love with this topic or that topic. I use Reddit. That's what I do, you know? Right, right. Well, that's like a person who uses Spreaker. They don't even think about themselves necessarily as a podcast listener. They're a Spreaker listener, like a Stitcher listener. Stitcher, a lot of Stitcher listeners feel like that. So what does this data tell us, though, with all those caveats, Jim? Yeah, with knowing all those caveats, it still provides us with some very interesting information to towards the listening habits of podcast listeners. Uh, the first thing to note is the differences in the categories depending on their geographic location. So in the United States, the top five categories are religion, culture, sports, history, news, and information. Those are people that are using one of the Vox Nest 
family of platforms. That includes Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, the Spreaker listening app, etc. In Europe, the top five podcast categories are business, culture, psychology, history, and education. Now, here's where caveats start coming in. Understanding that the Spreaker listening platform is, well, the VoxNest family, let's start there, is the number three podcast host in the world. All right. We got Libsyn, we got Blueberry, then we have VoxNest. That's sort of how it lines up. People that are listening on the VoxNest family of platforms is less than 1% of the total overall listening that is done uh, in podcasting. As you just, as you just discussed, Apple is number one with over 50%, uh, almost 60%. I think just last month, Rob Walsh mentioned on the Libsyn platform, for instance, uh, Apple had finally dropped below 60% for the first time uh, ever, I think. Um, so understanding that this is literally only representative of less than 1% of the overall listening that is occurring and understanding that a majority of the listening is happening in the United States. And now you're getting an even smaller sample size of people listening in Europe. You can sort of start seeing where some of this data will be skewed. It's not necessarily representative of what's actually occurring in the podcasting space. Uh, and then it even further shows because the category culture is pretty vague. Uh, the top five podcasts in the U.S. culture category on the VoxNest listening platform are Southern Fried True Crime and True Murder. In the same vein, two of the top five podcasts in the Europe culture category are Crematorium and Those Conspiracy Guys. So there's a difference in the top podcasts on those platform. I can tell you Those Conspiracy Guys are done by a man from Ireland. That's why he's considered... European. A majority of his listens, though, are United States listeners. Southern Fried True Crime and True Murder. Uh, I know those shows very, very well because they were part of my Prime program that I created at Blog Talk Radio, which became part of the Vox Nest family, and they are now featured on Spreaker. Those shows do extremely well in terms of total overall listens, but again, they are not the top podcasts that people are listening to. They're not even close to that particular uh, range. So, Again, a very small sample size of a small sample size uh, is being sort of explained here. But when people are listening to these particular shows is an interesting thing to dive into. Religious podcasts, for instance, a majority of the people that are listening to these podcasts are doing so at 7 a.m. Sort of makes sense. Quite honestly, you wake up in the morning and you get your daily word from God uh, that just uh, you're more religious than I am. That sort of seems copacetic with what I know about religious folk. Well, so I mean, a, a meditation or a reading or a prayer or or any sort of like little worship time to start the day is a, a it's a very common practice for anyone, not just religious, but again, like of any uh, philosophical practice, like to clear and center and focus yourself for the day's activities makes perfect sense. The second most popular window was nine to ten p.m right before bedtime. And again, sort yeah. of seems to match with what your perception of a religious listener would be in the culture category, the most popular hour to listen to those type of podcasts. And again, remember these are a true crime type podcasts, 8am. The second most popular hour is 4pm, which is a little curious because your work day 
depending on where you're located, usually ends around 5 p.m. So the fact that you're listening starting at 4 p.m., you're cutting out, cutting your day short there, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Because the the sports podcasters, the sports listeners are listening at 7 a.m. on their way to work and at 5 p.m. on their way home from work. Uh, which is something that I've said forever. Like you didn't even have to do this giant deep dive into your data. I could have just told you it's not even, it, it's sort of like as a sports podcaster, I just know that that's what my audience does. I don't need the data to sort of, well, now I have data to back it up. So, Hey, that's fantastic. But again, it's a small slice of a sample of a sample. It's, it, it's, it's tough to go off of, but in any case, these are sort of things that you should be thinking about when you're creating your content and when you want to have your content ready. Uh, that's sort of, it was a long way for me to get to that. It was a long way for me to get to that point, but that's sort of the point here is just when you understand your audience and know when they're using it and how they're using your content. And we've talked about this on this podcast before, then you have a better idea of knowing how to prepare your content for that particular use case. And again, using sports as the perfect example, I know that my audience is going to listen to a podcast on their way into work at 7 a.m. and they're gonna listen to it on the way home from work at 5 p.m. Yes, yeah, no, 100%. All right, Jay, so both of those, by the way, both of those articles are in the uh, show notes. You can check those out and read the research for yourself. One more quick thing, the news and information uh, category. I know that their top news and information podcast is actually called three martini lunch which is released at noon or they actually record at noon live and then it's released as a podcast after it's done so it's usually available at 1 p.m uh but the most popular listening time for this particular category is 9 p.m uh with the uh second most popular spike uh between 4 and 10 p.m 38% of downloads listens, uh, which is interesting. So I wonder if three martini lunch has moved on (laughs) because I know that their most popular news and information podcast is at 1 PM. So that's curious to see that type of information. Yeah. That's very interesting. Hmm. Um, speaking of very interesting and to me a little disappointing, uh, although I don't follow him as closely as you do, you had an article from Tim Ferriss. Uh, the headline says, Why I'm Stopping the Fan-Supported Podcast Experiment. Um, I'm assuming, by the way, there was an interesting thread that happened in the podcast movement uh, community the other day, and I'm betting that it was in response to this. Uh, he, he says, greetings. This is a public service announcement. I will be stopping the fan supported podcast experiment and moving back to an ad supported podcast. This post will explain a few of the reasons. Let's kick off with some housekeeping quotes, uh, housekeeping notes. Huge thanks to everyone for becoming supporters. I'll have more to share with you soon. I'll be re- refunding every supporter a hundred percent of what they've paid to date. Doing this for thousands of people will take one to two weeks. So thank you for being patient, which by the way, Holy moly. Uh, all support subscriptions have been stopped, so you will not be charged again. <clears throat> uh, just for kicks, he's going to do another live Q&A. Uh, he's got the dates for that. If you think your company product service could be a good fit for the podcast, I'm interested in a few new sponsors. Most sponsor spots for Q3 and Q4 are already full, but if interested, here's the info. And then he details his reasons why. Jay, what was your first response when you read this? No! <laughs> You yeah, only- right? I mean, like, you you very specifically preach a thing. You preach ads and direct sponsorship. 
two paths. Work them together. It's just, ah, I don't understand why you should never go all in on one means of revenue generation. You should be maximizing your revenue river. As I like to say, build multiple streams to make the most money you possibly can. And Tim Ferriss obviously has a giant audience. He mentions in this that his podcast has just recently passed the 400 million downloads. Uh, I would assume that's all time. That's clearly not a per episode basis. Uh, if it was, then our numbers would be even larger than what we report on every month or so. Uh, but and the fact that he, you know, I guess, you know, he mentioned here that he knew this before he even did the experiment. He didn't even need to do the experiment because he had a, he had a poll of 18,000 respondents. 72% said that they would never donate. 24% said they would give $5 a month and 4% said they would give $10 or more per month. Um, so he already knew going into it that he wasn't going to make a lot of money. He was still going to make more money from ads than he was from the listener supported. Uh, and he mentions that this shows that 99% of his listeners are totally okay with the ads in his podcast. This is something I've been saying for years. Your audience doesn't care about the ads. They really don't. And the small number that do care about the ads usually end up being in our little podcasting bubble. It's like, oh, we hate the ads. They're so evil. Ah, ads. Ah, yucky, yucky, yucky. Guess what? You got to make some money. It, it, we, we can't be devoting hours of our life to doing this wonderful hobby for nothing. I mean, we could, but quite honestly, I've got other things in my life that take a priority. A, number one, why we didn't have a podcast last week. Things in my life took a priority where we could not make a podcast happen last week. That's just simple dollars and donuts. If I was being paid thousands of dollars like Tim Ferriss, I can tell you right now, the podcast probably would have been a higher priority than some of the life things that were occurring last week. That's just the simple fact of life. It's just... You, it has to be, you have to put some sort of value, not only on dollars, but also on your time and your energy and the resources that you are devoting to making this all happen. Otherwise, you have to understand that you're just a hobbyist. And if you're just a hobbyist, that's fine, but sort of accept that and embrace it instead of being so anti, ah, you're making money from the thing that I love doing for nothing. Ah, well, that's fine. There's no reason to there's no reason to vilify somebody because they have a different opinion than you. And there's no reason to there's no reason why both can't live in the same ecosphere. So so that's my question, Jay, is why not do both? Why why can he not continue to do both? I don't know, because he did say uh he did write a little bit more interesting uh results from the data that he acquired from the short time he did the experiment is did anyone actually decide to contribute at the 1000 per month level? I added perhaps 10 days into testing. The short answer was yes. And that ended up comprising roughly 13.4% of the total monthly recurring revenue. So in other words, uh, one, let's say just one person donated the thousand uh, dollars per month level uh, was resulting a 13% of his monthly income from just donations, which he understood quickly was probably not something that he could maintain. It's not something that would continue going on. Now I will say this, 
the No Agenda show with Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak have been doing what they call the value for value model since its inception many, 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 many years ago. They're well, well over, a th- I think they're over 1,100 episodes at this particular point, and they do two podcasts a week. Uh, and their whole thing is a donation model. And they also understand that they are getting maybe 4% of their audience donating to them on a regular basis. They also note that during this particular month, because I've been listening recently, their donation levels drop considerably uh, during the month of July, especially their higher tier donation uh, in, in the hundreds of dollars. I, they probably have $1,000 donors as well, and they have a whole uh, peerage system that they do with knighting listeners and, and whatnot. Uh, but Adam noted, he said on his most uh, one of his most recent podcasts that it's the people that have signed up for the $5 a month recurring subscription that are actually helping them get through a month like July where they're not getting the bigger donations each and every week. Now, they also whine and cry about the fact that they aren't getting the donations that they believe that they deserve, but that's sort of that's their that's their model, right? They they're putting out a product that they believe is worth this amount of dollars, and then people will pay them the money that they are expecting. They've done it for years. They've built a giant audience to create that sort of effect. Not everyone is going to be able to do that. For Tim, I would simply just say, if you want to maximize your revenue, we will be doing it soon on our podcast. I got to, it's all on me. Again, life takes priority sometimes. We will be creating a feed for the people that are listening to this podcast, understanding that we do a podcast about the podcasting industry. So there are a lot of people in this particular bubble that hate ads. If you would like to support us, we will be creating a Patreon page where you can support us so that we can continue to provide this type of analysis and feedback and perspective on the regular podcasting news of the day. And we'll have an ad-supported model as well so that we can best maximize the revenues that we're making. And it's not that we're greedy sons of guns who are just looking to make the most dollars that we possibly can. No, it's just simply utilizing the product that we have in the best way forward. Why wouldn't I want to make the most amount of money out of something that I'm doing? Not Listen, I love this industry and I love the fact that we give a lot to this industry, but at the same time, I need to get something back too. And this is just one way that you can give back to me for what I give to you on a regular basis. I will tell you, there's been a number of podcasts that we've done in this show that I'm like, if you were paying me to be a consultant for your show, that was that was probably at least a thousand dollars worth of a charge of a bill that I would have sent you uh, as a personal consultant to your show. My thing, Jay, is that I want options. I, as a listener, like options. I love that I can listen to Mabim Mabam, my brother, my brother, and me for free every week and support them, help them get paid by listening to the Money Zone where they have straight up advertisements from companies and also they do a, a, a billboard type thing for their listeners. Their listeners can buy and, you know, it's like, hey, brother, I love you and thanks for introducing me to the McElroys and I love this show and in podcasting awesome. Whatever. I like that. I like that a lot. I like the alternative that I can pay the Max Fun Network 
you know, $5 a month or $7 a month. And I have at different times in the past. I'm not a current subscriber, but not only do I feel like I'm supporting them more directly and I can skip that ad and not feel bad about it at all. But also, Jay, I like the fact that uh, I, I can get access to a lot of extra content from them. That's one of the ways that they give back to their supporters. Whatever that option is, I think it's cool. For us, I think we have a large segment of our audience that says the ads are fine. If I don't like them, I'm going to skip them. I like the fact that I get this show for free. I get the info. I hear from Jay and Joel, and I move on with my day. You know, they're listening to it at 2x or 1.5x or whatever. They're like, I don't I don't want to give you guys $5 a month. That's fine. I think that's a valid uh, way to be a listener and supporter of this show. Please don't skip the advertising. Or even if you do skip the advertising, I don't care. That's your business. But don't complain about it online. Don't don't call right. me greedy for putting the ads in the in the show that I try to do for you. And then on the flip side, if you really don't like the ads, but you find value in the content, we're going to have an option for you. And you can go directly to the source. You can download the file yourself through the RSS feed that will be provided by Patreon. And you can listen to it in that way without any advertising. We're going to try to give both. I don't think that's a bad thing. And I, it blew my mind in this um, this conversation that was going on on uh, uh, the Facebook, the uh, podcast movement Facebook group. I was just like, why would anybody be, why would anybody have a problem with a podcast that was both ad supported and had a Patreon? I mean, I feel like now here's the one thing, Jay, that I will say about Tim's experiment. How long has Tim been doing this in an ad supported model? His show's years. been around for 10 years, or close yeah. to it, right? If not 10 years, very, very close to it. My thing is he built an audience that expects advertising and that also expects their content for free. I think it was a little bit a self-fulfilling prophecy that he was that this wasn't going to work very well. Uh, and you know, so I would just say, I, maybe if you start with both, your audience is going to be more receptive to both all along, you know, or if you say from the very beginning, Hey, as we grow, we're looking for sponsorship and we're going to give you an option to support us. And it's not now we don't have either one now, but it's coming. And then when you get to that level and you bring in ads, you say, Hey, I'm so thankful that we've got this sponsor that's working with us and, uh, that we can, can get a little revenue to support our costs for producing this show for you. If that's something that you would like to help out with, or if the ads bother you in any way, go over here, check out my website, check out mywebsite.patreon.com or, you know, support us.podcast.com or whatever you set the link up as and get it done. Like offer them both, offer them both. I think Tim could have grown this over time. And, uh, I think he could have developed a very nice side business. The podcasters and the bloggers that I look at and respect the most, most of them tend to be, I will say in the Apple world. And I do think that people who are Apple fans generally look a little askance at advertising supported models. Uh, uh, I think that's just something that's kind of true, but even with all of that, those folks have made a lot of money doing both. They have very tasteful ads on their website or their podcast, and then they also do direct support. I don't want to make general sweeping statements. I usually try to avoid them. However, I make them all the time and I'm going to make general sweeping generalizations again here. There there seems to be this idea, 
it, I, and I think it comes mostly from the tech space that you do something and you just get money for it. And that, and that misunderstanding of why you're getting money is the disconnect of why that money is being given to you seems to be the issue because oftentimes it's like, well, I just did this awesome thing. Now I get money for it. No, it, you're getting money for it because you have something that is of value to someone else. An advertiser isn't giving you money because you're doing the thing. The advertiser is giving you money because it wants your audience to go buy their product. That's why they're giving you money. And if your show doesn't convert into buyers of that particular product, guess who's not going to give you money for much longer, the advertiser. So the reason why Tim Ferriss is very successful with his advertisers is because he is very good at converting his listeners into buyers. That's point number one. Point number two, which sort of will move into our next uh, topic with Radio Public and their pod fund, is a, a VC uh, is going to give you money to help you continue to make your product because they believe they're going to get a return on their investment. They're going to put in a certain, it's Shark Tank. If you watch Shark Tank, this gets explained to you very easily. Uh, an investor is giving you money because they believe they're going to get their money back plus some. However, there's this thing that's occurred and I don't know what it is. And, and and this is just my own conspiratorial mind that starts running as I watch more and more uh, television programs like the Ozarks, where you see all this money laundering occur, where you get all this money because you've you're, you've got this product that's in the hot space right now, right? And podcasting is super hot, and now all of a sudden you get this giant investment. Uh, and in the terms of Pod Fund, it's not a giant investment, but you're going to get this investment from this creator and you're great. You're going to continue to make this, this great hot podcast in this hot podcasting space. But that investor has no clue because they read all these articles without any sort of context about the success of podcasting and how that relates and how that particular podcast is successful and just starts investing willy nilly in all these other different podcasts. And now all of a sudden goes, well, I didn't make any money. So this is baloney. Well, no, it's, you didn't invest, you didn't do your research properly. You read a bunch of articles by a bunch of people who clearly have no idea what the podcasting space is all about or how to put the podcasting space in the proper perspective. Like, instead of just investing crazy, why aren't you talking to Rob Walsh? Why aren't you talking to Todd Cochran? Why aren't you talking to Rob Greenlee? Why aren't you talking to these people, these mega people who have been in the podcasting space for years and can give you the right perspective on what it is that you should be investing in? Libsyn is a publicly traded company. The fact that people aren't investing heavily in Libsyn, that is a slight issue. Like I would be jumping all over Lipson right now. If I had thousands of dollars to invest in the stock market and buy a ton of Lipson stock, that is a company that you want to invest in. Understand your return on that investment is going to be slow because of what their business model is, but it is a very, it is, a, it should be a very, very, very attractive stock to purchase right this second. I would not be investing in the net, the Netflix of podcasting, some company that jumps in and is like, oh, well, we're going to change the whole podcasting space. We're going to turn it on its ear. No, 
we've been around for 15 years and just go and ask Luminary what happens when you go and you try and turn the industry on its ear. The industry turns on you. So you have to sort of look at this space and understand it. And if you do, you can be very successful in it. But if you don't, if you take things and you place them out of context, you are going to lose a lot of money. I don't necessarily think that's true with any of these shows that PodFund invested in, but these folks have to understand PodFund invested, gave them money, not because they're doing a great podcast, but because PodFund believes they're going to get that money back plus some. Yes. Yes. That is literally the definition of investment. <laughs> but but people don't seem to understand that. There's that disconnect like, oh, I just get money because I make a podcast. No, that's not how it works. If it did work that way, you and I would be rich beyond our mildest imaginations at this point. Well, I mean, I, I, I just always go back to, I've got a musician friend, Adam Dale, who, uh, actually who used to do the, he did the theme song, original theme song for pod on pod. Uh, and he does the, the theme song still for my other show. What makes me weird? Uh, he and I had a conversation once about the streaming world when that had first begun and it was clear that musicians were going to kind of get a raw deal there. And his thing was, I live in the tail end of this period that is a historical anomaly where the distribution channel for music caused the, the music industry to throw off a lot of money. Like the only reason that musicians ever had very lucrative careers was because printing records was lucrative and they built a and and companies built a business around that but like all through the rest of human history musicians were not expected to be able to make a living particularly as performing musicians right like if you made a living at all as a musician it was with a patron you had some wealthy sponsor that said i like you and your style why don't you make this kind of music or that kind of music or do what you want to do but there was a relationship there and you were literally making something for one person a direct relationship that then could be enjoyed by others but like he so again his thing was I'm glad I lived during any of it. I'm glad I ever made a dime off of a record sale, you know, or, or off of touring or off of any of this. And if it goes back to I'm something else for my job and music is my passion or my hobby, and that's what most people in the world do. And, and the record industry becomes this like very niche thing. He said, I don't think that's a terrible, is it sad? It's a little sad for me. Cause I was sort of like, thought I was going to do the thing. But it's not like a failure of the world. Likewise, if podcasting, if every Tom, Dick, and Harry who has a wonderful idea for an audio story doesn't get thousands and thousands of dollars to tell that audio story, I don't think that's the end of the world either. If you're hungry enough, if you want to do the story, there are ways that you can make it happen on a shoestring budget. There are ways that you can make it happen all by yourself. That's my point. Also very, very true. Uh, the other thing I forgot about in terms of revenue uh, and how to make revenue, there was a there was a report on the average ticket price to uh, podcast shows. Uh, it it oh, yeah. spurned my mind when you brought up uh, my brother and brother and me, cause they were in the top 10 there in terms of uh, ticket prices that they charge. I wish I had put that story in our show notes, but the top one was like $117 to go see a live performance of my favorite murder. I think um, 
that that's yeah, we'll that, that blows we'll that my mind next week jay <laughs> yeah Wait, so so i i saw lots of people um expressing consternation or surprise at those prices i i will say i've been to see my brother my brother and me this year i paid 75 dollars for each ticket and my thought at the time was it's about what i'd pay to see a concert you know mm. when my wife and i wanted to go see the avit the avit brothers in like an intimate setting or ray lamontane we bought tickets a couple of years ago to ray lamontane and then had to sell them because we couldn't go those tickets were i think 60 a piece plus uh you know like fees that's what a good concert costs so i feel for those brothers every bit as much as i do for any uh you know musician that i've ever listened to i i, I love their shows you know and um so so my thought was that was a no-brainer. I don't have any problem with that price. I think that um, – Oh, I don't have a problem for anyone who... that charges a price and they're able to attain that price. The problem, <laughs> the problem is when you out there start to think that you can charge that price and then nobody comes to your show and you're like, well, where is everybody? Uh, it it doesn't it doesn't work it's not apples to apples like it takes a while to build up an audience to build that relationship that Joel has with that particular show uh for you to get to that level and by the way I don't just question the prices for uh, going to a podcast live event I question the prices for concerts like I'm not paying 100 bucks to go see Aerosmith I'm just not I love Aerosmith love them dearly they're one of my favorite bands I'm just not paying the price to go see them live I just I just can't afford it and I the value I put on my dollar to entertain myself I can use that money to entertain myself elsewhere same thing with sporting events I'm a big guy in sports I've never understood the price of going to a football game when I can sit in my living room with all the beer I want with all the snacks I want and spend way less than what you have to spend for an experience in a stadium there is something to be said about a live experience there's a dip you have a different experience for sure but people that buy season tickets and they're, you know, a blue collar worker or have, you know, a very small yearly income, I always question the like, dude, it, it's almost like the, it's it's like an addiction. It's like you got to you got to relook at the way that you're investing your money and, and think about, is it really that valuable to me? And if it is, that's great. I'm not going to I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying I'm not spending that money to go do something similar. Yeah, I'd, I'd say don't yuck anybody's yum, right? I mean, like uh, the whatever it is for for that person that lights them up, that you know, that makes them passionate, that gets them up in the morning, and that that moves them forward. I think it's awesome, uh, and and I think they ought to pursue it in whatever way that they can. Um, I will say. I think, especially like you talk about like the season tickets, I think that's about identity, right? And sometimes I think mm. the podcast tickets or the concert going is the same way. I am a Pod Save America fan, and you know that by the fact that I wear the merch and I go to the live shows, even though I'm living on like, you know, a recent college graduate's budget. Um, I think that I think there's something to that. Same thing with going to concerts, right? Like you, I am a concert goer. I'm a fish fan. I'm a, mm. you know, whatever. I, I I've example. got all the bootlegs. I mean, fish is a really good example of somebody who's sort of like the fans kind of use that band as an identity. But I think, I think that's true for, 
all sorts of different fandoms and all sorts of different people. And I think that's something that you see a lot with these folks that go to the live events on a regular basis. Uh, here's an example, Jay, real quick about somebody who's doing this on a smaller scale, but doing it well. The Ivy Envy podcast, our buddy Corey Finneran uh, and his uh, co-hosts, they do several live events every year, but they've got one, and I can't remember the guy's name. There was a, there was a, it was sort of like a one-time pitcher for the Cubs who had like one great game. I think maybe he threw a no hitter and had a home run that game or something crazy like that. But he's kind of a nobody, and he, they have a day with him like as an invited guest, and it's all about him. It's after a game. They like hosted at a bar. They have fans in from all over the country and stuff. People come from all over to do that. And it's like very cheap or even free maybe to attend the event, but it's about forming the community. Maybe it's patrons. Maybe it's only Patreon supporters can go to the event or something like that, but it's about creating that community that then pays them all year. Like, and honestly that show's not built as a business anyway, that shows literally just a fan club. But, um, I mean, that's an example of somebody that's not charging $75 a ticket and yet is doing these live events. So there are ways to do it. Even if you're a smaller show, uh, Jay, what's next? Uh, the radio public pod fund, they, uh, announced three shows that they've invested in. And I thought it was interesting to see what they were doing. Now, just a reminder of what pod fund is doing. It, uh, was released by Radio Public. It is a venture-backed podcast incubator. It's funded by $2.3 million in venture investments. Uh, it's open door plan. Any audio producer can enter for a shot, which means that you will be vetted and gaining a $25,000 to $50,000 bankroll with a revenue share plan of 7 to 15% over three years. So that means in three years' time, uh, Radio Public is expecting, well, Radio Public, who is the parent to PodFund, is expecting the $25,000 back plus some. Uh, all right. The first show that uh, that they've invested in, uh, in these newest announcements, because they invested in a few uh, previous when they first announced that they had some, some investments already in the can. The Unmistakable Creative. Uh, I cannot pronounce the creator's name. I apologize. Um, uh, so wow. I will mispronounce. Rao. Uh, Rao's the last name. As a prolific writer, podcaster, keynote speaker. Uh, he's self-published a Wall Street Journal bestselling book, which was later picked up by Penguin. Uh, he's conducted hundreds of interviews. His podcast started in 2009, has over 700 episodes. His listeners say, quote, if TED Talks met Oprah, you'd have the unmistakable creative. His plans on the funds that he is getting is to improve his website, overall SEO, and invest in a video companion content. Now, it doesn't mention what the business model is for the repayment of those funds, but you can see what the goal that what his goals are with the money will ultimately, hopefully, result in an increase in revenue. It, by improving his website and overall SEO, he's hopefully going to gain more audience to his particular podcast. And by adding a video component, it's another possible stream of revenue that he can uh, increase uh, the amount of money that he's already earning and then pay back what he's making. Sometimes you have to make these types of investments to gain more money. And it seems like a good plan. Uh, and I would say it's probably a wise investment to invest in a person like this than, say, Jay and Joel. But even then, you should probably invest in Jay and Joel. Oh, man. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I here's the deal. None of these shows are for me. I mean, they're they all sound interesting to me, uh, but they, they, I'm not going to listen to any of them, most likely, and <laughs> and none of them are likely to become my favorite podcast. But at the same time, they're not shooting for me, right? Like they're shooting for the next million podcast listeners, and so I sort of like that they are not for me. In well, that way. well, this one though, Joel, this one might be a little bit more for you than you might think, but they haven't launched yet. Uh, Fugitive Media is an audio storytelling company specializing in narrative and travel. Uh, Now, the travel content, I'm sure, isn't necessarily for you, but the narrative audio storytelling might be. Um, They are going to launch in quarter four of this year. And again, you don't really see what's happening here, but you can also see that they have some experience where they have an audio app detour. Uh, and they also uh, had a show on Audible called In the Gap, which was part of their um, original and branded content that they produce. So, uh, again, they they have a little bit of a track record. And perhaps we'll, in this new effort that they're launching, will create more streams of revenue that they just need an investment to get started. Uh, by the way, a twenty to fifty thousand dollar investment in a show like ours, for instance, would help us grow tremendously. Because I know exactly where I would invest all that money, and it, majority of it would be in marketing. Uh, the last one is uh, Dreamer Comics, a weekly podcast where host Omar Spahi, again, I apologize if I mispronounce your name, interviews comic book creators uh, and all sorts of people behind comic books. He's a serial entrepreneur. Uh, and as publisher himself, he produces films and operates a real estate business in L.A. If you don't know, L.A. real real estate is rather pricey, so I'm sure he's doing quite well for himself. Uh, he is looking to turbocharge marketing sales efforts and a and to finance a docu series. So again, it's another form of content that should hopefully pull in another stream of revenue that would pay back Podfund. Uh, but you can see turbocharging marketing and sales efforts. That's exactly what I would use this type of money for if I were to apply for the, for this type of uh, investment, which I'm not going to because I don't feel, I feel, well, first of all, this particular podcast, we've talked about this. The audience for this particular podcast are podcasters. So we have a very limited audience right off the get-go. Uh, with my sports podcast, unless you are affiliated with a ginormous brand, you have a cap. You might make it to, uh, I'm going to throw out a random number. I'll just say like, I think your cap is probably at like 5,000 listens per episode. I think even if you did the best possible content you possibly could and you marketed it to the maximum that you possibly could uh, using, let's just say $25,000, you're going to get to about 5,000 listeners and you're probably not going to grow from that point because People have particular brands, whether it's good or not, that they have married and they're just not going to leave them. If if you put ESPN content next to my content, next to another independent podcaster's content, I can probably tell you the average sports fan is going to go ESPN because they know that brand. Then they'll see me. They'll go, oh, a producer from ESPN. Okay. And then they'll see another independent podcaster and they'll be like, I don't know that person for Adam 
why do I want to listen to that particular show? So I will say my favorite thing about these pod fund announcements is that they're all three people of color. Uh, mm. There's one woman among the uh, the three figureheads. Uh, she leads a team, uh, so I'm imagining there's probably more than one woman in her organization. But um, that's exciting, uh, and I, I do think that that is again something necessary if we're going to get that next million listeners in. Right, like all the straight white middle aged uh, Christian guys know about podcasts already. We all know about <laughs> podcasts, Jay. Every single it's one true. of our demographic. It's true. Um, all right, so that's pod fun, folks. I, 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 good luck to them is what I'm going to say again. Like I, I don't, I worry. Uh, you know, you don't know. This article didn't talk about the specific dollar amounts, right? Um, said somewhere in the range of twenty five thousand to fifty thousand bankroll. Um, but still, like I, I don't know. Maybe these are good investments. Maybe they're not. I worry. They might be. Hey, since we're talking about shows that you're probably not going to listen to, why don't we talk about shows that you are listening to, Joel? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Jay. Oh, Jay. I've got a new... <laughs> oh, I have a new... Um... It's an obsession is what it is. It's an addiction. Oh. So my, I've got two good buddies, Josh Shirley, who used to host this show with me, and Richard Bennett, who I went to college with. The three of us have been good friends for years and years. And the two of them are both video gamers. And they've been trying to get me to game with them for years, five or six years at least, since since online gaming's been a thing, basically. Or, or for normal people, it's been a thing anyway. They've been like, oh, we should play this. Oh, we should play that. And they've tried a bunch. Uh, Destiny and Overwatch and uh, Hearthstone, I think they tried one time. They've, they've tried several games. About two weeks ago, I guess, maybe, I got a message from one of them saying, hey, we're playing this game called DOTA Underlords. Uh, it's like chess. You should get online and play with us. Here's a YouTube video if you want to. This will get you caught up from beginning total know nothing about the game you'll know how to play it after you watch this video and i click the link and i open it up and it's like an hour and 15 minute long youtube video. No. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like there's no way i'm gonna watch a whole hour about some video game that i'm not ever gonna play anyway and i started the video and all of the sudden i was an hour and four minutes in and oh. i'm loading up i'm downloading the game and i'm installing it on my ipad and i'm creating a steam well i had a steam account already but i logged into my steam account and and, and uh set it up and uh yeah i've been playing the game like crazy so of course what do i want as soon as i fall in love with a new passion or topic i want a podcast about it mm. so i found one uh there is a podcast it's actually getting renamed by the way so as i as i discuss them here it might be hard to find but i've given a link directly to it from pod news so that should work this is like the generic pod news link which i think this is the first time that i've used one of those by the way thanks james cridlin uh but it's the link where you can get all of the links um, it's the show is currently called Underlords Academy podcast, and uh, it's uh, three uh, players of the original game DOTA, uh, which is like a it's a squad based like arena fighting game. You know, it's like a bunch of people in a deathmatch kind of thing, like Doom or whatever. Uh, but DOTA two was modded into this chess type game, 
and that has become its own game now. It's a spinoff thing. And there's apparently like three different ones. Uh, DOTA has one called Underlords. The League of Legends game has a spinoff chess game called League or Legends Team Fight, I think is the name of it. And then the the company who made the original mod, they bought the rights to make their own game and uh, they have different characters and everything now, and it's just called Auto Chess. So those are your three options. You can go out there and play them. But effectively, the game is you pick your different characters, you put them out on the board, and then they fight each other automatically. So think like Wizard's Chess from Harry Potter, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't do the thing, you just set up the strategy. Um, And it is fascinating. It's so much fun. And the podcast is actually pretty good, too. They talk a lot about they don't put out they haven't put out episodes that regularly yet, but they said in their most recent episode, they're going to go to weekly uh, very soon. And they talk about the patches and the changes to the game. So this is a game that's built for like esports competition. So every week there's going to be updates to the game that slightly change the rules or the way that different characters play. And it's the kind of thing that if you get into, you're going to need that information in some fashion. So this is a podcast that's actually very useful if you're into the game. Um, Jay, I'm a video gamer. Like, wow. I've, I've, honest to God, in like in like two weeks, I've played like 60 hours of this video game. Oh, like, <laughs> that is an obsession. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really, really good, though. It's, it's, it's one of those, well, just one more. I'll just, just let me play just one more round. You know, yep. they're like 20 minute, 30 minute games. So it's very, well, I'll just go one more. It's like Netflix binging, right? It's easy to mm. do that too. Anyway, that's my show. You can find it in the uh, show notes. I have a, I have one question and maybe there's some Star Wars geeks out there that can answer this. Why hasn't the Disney Corporation released Sabak as, as a game that real human beings can play? Why hasn't, why haven't they released the, why haven't they created the game that Chewbacca and R2-D2 are playing on the Millennium Falcon. Why is that not a game that we can play at this particular point? That is where, a very good point. I, I said Wizard's Chess. You and I are both Star Wars geeks, though. It's it's Sabacc. It's very much like Sabacc. Uh, it, it is, as a matter of fact, like the characters even look, there's like ogres and trolls and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I, th- I want to say that maybe... Lucas Arts did release a version of that once upon a time, but it wasn't very good and they've not like updated it or brought it along, et cetera, et cetera. I will say with the success of auto chess with the, with this current genre, I, Disney, if you're listening, there's get EA I mean, on that. Quite honest. Like everyone would play that game on their phones. Like that's forever. The, so that's the deal. The, that's the other thing that I love about, about this Underlords game, by the way, Jay, is that I can play it on my iPad. I play it on my computer. I can play it on my phone. You can even, if you're logged into your same Steam account, you can start it on your computer and then like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go, you know, to uh, work or whatever. You can take it with you on your mobile device. You could just pick it up and continue the same game. So that is very, 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 very cool. Uh, yeah, I would love to see uh, Disney do a version of the Star Wars version of that. I, I'm, I'm down for that. Let's get on that. Yeah. Uh, Jay, what are you listening to this week? So I've been teasing it for weeks now, and it's finally here. It's my series of sports podcasts listening for Barrett Sports Media. It's called Five Podcasts in Five Days. By the way, Barrett Sports Media is a consulting company uh, that was founded by Jason Barrett. Jason Barrett and I worked together at ESPN Radio for a number of years, uh, and he now consults with a number of the top sports uh, radio stations across the country. Uh, And he asked me to do his annual Five Podcasts in Five Days. So I got to listen to 
five noteworthy sports podcasts. Uh, day one was released on Monday, and that has my review of Mystery Box by Dan Lebetard and Friends. Uh, day two came out on Tuesday, which is my review of the GM Shuffle with Mike Lombardi and Adnan Verk. And there's a link in the show notes to BarrettSportsMedia.com where you can uh, go check out the blog posts that uh, reach. You know, big surprise here. Spoiler alert. I am super critical of all the podcasts I listen to, <laughs> but that's because I care, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sitting there trying to slam a show because I'm like, oh, the, oh rah, rah, rah. no, I'm, I'm, I, I, I actually presented some of these to you, Joel, uh, you know, pull back the curtain. I said, Joel, am I being too critical here? Am I, am I just being mean or, or is, is this okay? And, and you had mentioned, no, I'm actually providing actionable things that these podcasts can do. And that's ultimately my goal. Whenever I'm super critical about anything that I talk about in this particular podcast, it's not because I'm just, you know, angry old Jay. It's because it's, there's things that you see that can easily be changed and should be changed. And particularly in sports podcasting, ever since we first started it, it's been sort of just, let's copy what's been done on sports talk radio and put it on the uh, and put it on the internet. And that was fine, but we're 14 years later now. It's time for some innovation in this space. All these other genres have all these different types of podcasts going on. And there's other places that are trying to do innovative things, but their attempts are are half-hearted. And I do think that there are some really great, like I will tell you right now, uh, Sports Illustrated in conjunction with... Um, I believe Wondery and the Boston Globe did a phenomenal series on uh, the Aaron Hernandez story, uh, the tight end for the New England Patriots who ended up committing uh, a couple of murders and then committed suicide in jail. Phenomenal, phenomenal series, stuff that you don't hear. The 30 for 30 podcasts, I haven't myself listened to them, but my understanding is they've basically done in audio form what they've done in the TV form. And I love the, the, the documentaries that the 30 for 30 team has done. So I can only imagine that the stories that they're telling in the podcast form are phenomenal as well. The reason why I haven't listened to those in particular is because they're just not stories that interest me. Um, you know, even the, uh, uh, the the Olympic story there, which was one of their first ones that I was sort of interested in just because that Nike campaign was everywhere uh, during that particular Olympics. And then both guys flopped, <laughs> which I also was, was very happy to see, um, you know, uh, I didn't. I didn't listen to that one, but that one. That, and that's the one story that I probably had the most interest in listening to. But as and as a group, us sports podcasters, we need to start getting a little bit more creative with our shows. And when we create a new podcast, it's got to be more than just two guys sitting down, you know, showing off their knowledge of the sport and sharing their opinions on the sport because everybody's doing that. And as I just highlighted before, if everybody's doing it the listeners are going to pick the brand that they're that they know even if your content is a hundred times better than that particular brand it's just simply the way that the world works at this particular point in time so i i invite you to go check those out check out those reviews of those five particular podcasts and you know let me know what you think uh i can tell you it's a super blunt super critical listening to all five of those particular programs that uh, I got a chance to listen to, and there'll be three more uh, this week. Awesome. All right. Thanks for that, Jay. And uh, check out those links. 
Uh, Jay, if uh, they would like to, if someone is listening to this and would like to work with you, would like to get some of your help directly on their show, how to improve their show, how do they go about getting in contact with you? Uh, you can check out uh, my Facebook page, facebook.com slash podvader page. Uh, you could email me nextfanup at gmail.com. It's probably the easiest email to reach me at. Uh, right now, that inbox is flooded with my draft picks in the Scott Fishbowl Fantasy Football League. Uh, so I would love to get some uh, podcast-related emails in there. And uh, at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter uh, is probably the easiest way for anyone listening to this to find me super quickly. Awesome. You can find me at The Rogue's Life on Twitter or anywhere else, propodcastingservices.com for all of my stuff. Um, until next week, Jay, we have been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. Spoiler alert. Peter Parker is Night Monkey. <laughs> and I'm going to see Spider-Man Far From Home. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> That's not a real spoiler. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Raver. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.